Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Business of Freelancing podcast. Today, we will be discussing how to improve your career when you're working on your own. I'm here today with, as usual, Eric Dietrich. Hey, Eric. Hey, everybody. And I am Reuven Lerner. And uh, let's jump into things. And the, the, the basic problem, let's just sort of set this up a little bit. So if you're working for a company, like not a one-person company, not an individual company there, but a, like a real company, as it were, they are usually going to give you some resources to, for getting ahead in your career. And we can talk about what those are and how those work and so forth. But if you're working on your own, you are the company. And so this week, we want to talk to you about what are some resources you can use? What are some ideas you can put into place so that even when you're on your own, you can still help to develop your career? Because you, you actually have to, even if you're on your own. So start with that. Eric, why don't you fill that in a little bit more? And so one of the things that strikes me in particular, having spent a lot of time in the salaried world and then gone off on my own, and then also with the kind of questions that people submit to me through my site and blog and such is this kind of stark contrast between career development as an employee which you know I got used to, and then just being on your own as a freelancer in the sort of a vacuum there. In the salaried world, it's kind of like, I think the main vehicle in the salaried world for career development is this forcing function of you know one-on-ones with a manager and then maybe like an annual review to determine how much of a raise they're going to give you. So the idea is that it, when you work at a company, you're going to want to progressively make more money over time. And so the powers that be at the company structure this kind of cadence where you're supposed to like improve yourself in some way or another over the course of time to justify those pay increases. And I guess in theory, everybody wins. This is often a dysfunctional <laughs> process at organizations, but the intentions I think holistically are good and some orgs do it pretty well. But whether it's dysfunctional or functional or whatever you may think of it, it exists versus when you go off on your own and you hang out your shingle, you might not even notice this at first, but there's nothing that really forces you to ask yourself the sort of basic question, am I improving at anything? Am I becoming more valuable? Am I moving or making positive progress of any kind towards anything? And that might sound weird, especially if like you've just gone off on your own, like we were talking a little bit before the show and I was kind of laughing and thinking it's kind of more of a feature than a bug. If you've sat through five, 10 years of like really stupid, you know, performance addressing type of things where your manager is like, how well do you embody the corporate value of integrity? Like you might quit and be like, man, I don't have to sit through stupid things like this anymore. (laughs) But like at some point, if you haven't, you know, figured out how to charge people any more money, if you're still taking on like crappy contracts, there will be signs that you're not making progress. You're just kind of running in place. And I think that's really where career development comes in. And when you work for a company, almost always the onus is on the company to lay out a framework for you to do it. When you're working for yourself, obviously there's no framework like that. So I think that's, you know, where I want to come at this from is, that is going to be missing, especially for people who have left the salaried world. So how do you kind of fill it in for yourself when you go off on your own? At least that's my take. Does that sound good? Yeah, absolutely. And and I don't think, like, I didn't even realize it was sort of missing when I went off on my own, in part because I only worked for companies for a short period of time, in part because I didn't take advantage of it that much. I guess I was working full time for, let's call it two or three years. And at some point, like, they offered to pay for, like, classes. So I started taking a class, then I realized, oh, wait, I've already taken this class in college. I don't need this. I didn't quite understand. Like, I was I was just so naive about this stuff. I didn't quite understand it. But, like, yeah, and I'd say there, there's sort of two tracks for things that are very easy not to work on. Because, like, day-to-day, no one's going to tell you to do this. No one's going to tell you have to improve. But if you don't improve, you're definitely going to be left behind. And there's sort of, as I said, started to say now, there are two tracks for this. One is improving your business skills. Right? And those, those are perhaps less obvious, even though they will become more obvious over time. You have to know, learn how to sell, how to market, how to deal with taxes, how to deal with investments, like long-term, short-term goals, all that sort of stuff. And that, I mean, as we always say on this podcast, that's the sort of stuff that you need to know, even if it's not say, your interest. But then you also have to get ahead in the technical topics, right? So like I, over the years, I've sort of gone into new areas that I didn't know about before. 
people would ask me questions, ask me to develop courses, and I'd have to learn new things. And I have to somehow stick that in my schedule for the year so that I'm constantly learning new stuff and just getting new material to think about, write about, talk about, work on. And so if no one's there to tell you what to do, you'd better be pretty self-motivated to learn it. Because again, could you, look, we have, we have the example from the last 20 years or so of all the COBOL programmers retiring or dying and then being called back into service because, uh-oh, the only people who know how to work on this stuff are those COBOL programmers. Now, we can make fun of them from now until the cows come home, but the fact that they did not move on to new technologies and knew that was great for them in this one circumstance. But that's rare. Usually, you want to be moving on to new things so that you can offer new services and, yeah, move up the, the salary salary ladder, as it were. I think it's a great distinction, the business from the technical. So I'm going to give a nod here to the E-Myth or the E-Myth Revisited. And I think we've probably talked about this before, but the idea that in all of us, there are these three personas. There's the technician, the manager, and the entrepreneur. And that usually when people go off on their own to freelance, they're not as much being entrepreneurial as they're experiencing what the author of that book, whose name escapes me, uh, Gerber, maybe? Anyway. Um, yes, what he Michael, calls Michael Gerber, entre- just look it up. <laughs> an entrepreneurial seizure, which is that you get tired of being told to do your craft a certain way. You figure you can do better on your own. You don't need your stupid boss, so you quit. And then you really want to dive back into doing the technician work. Like You just want to do the work that you've been doing, but now you're in business for yourself. So what he talks about is that a lot of businesses, freelancers would fall into this category, will struggle because they don't really, they they kind of sell short the business end because they're not interested in managing their business or entrepreneurial concerns. Uh, They just want a technician better. And so that's super understandable, but it speaks, I think, nicely to these two tracks of learning that you have to do. And the thing that occurred to me as you were saying, talking about like tech versus learning business things is what a challenge it is to do both of those at once. It kind of reminds me, I spent a lot of years in the employed world. And one of the most common questions for an individual contributor engineer type, a technician is, do you see yourself more on the technical track or the management track? So are you you know, going to become like a distinguished architect or are you going to sort of work your way into management and then have people reporting to you and all that? And if you're in a company that's a choice they want you to make or maybe force you to make, if you go off on your own, you don't have that choice because you have to do both. You have to learn to manage and think about all these business things while also improving and kind of beating out the competition in the thing you're a technician at. So I think that speaks to how important career development is and how ironic it is that a lot of people newly minted into freelancing don't really go at it with any sort of intent. Like that's, it's a real bummer. Right. And I mean, look, the fact is I love learning new things. So for me, my problem is how do I get through all this material that I want to learn? But if you're not really into learning new stuff, you might have trouble, you know, freelancing because you're you're gonna have like, there's just nonstop. It's nonstop both on the business. I would say it's definitely nonstop on the business side. It might be nonstop on the technical side, sort of depending on what you do and how you do it. I mean, quite frankly, on my technical stuff, people often ask me, well, don't you have to like update your courses every year all the time because Python is constantly changing? I'm like, no, it doesn't change that fast. <laughs> <laughs> right, I don't, I don't have that much to, to update. If I were doing things that were super cutting edge or the latest JavaScript frameworks, yeah, I'd be in trouble. But luckily, I have something that's kind of slow and conservative, so I can focus on the business things. But even there, even there, there's no no shortage of stuff to learn. But if you don't enjoy learning, you might be kind of miserable as a freelancer because some of the lessons are painful. But there's it's always a matter of uh, uh, learning new stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think that like. So if you're listening and you haven't gone off on your own yet, you will be able to sort of like almost force rank or like pick your spots. So there are some topics you can grudgingly learn just enough about to like delegate or hire out for them or whatever. Like you don't need to become an expert in taxes or finance. You will need to know more about that stuff than you probably do as an employee. But if it doesn't interest you, your learning about it can be somewhat superficial. I don't think anybody who starts a business or a practice is kind of equally distributed across all of the facets of the business, like sales, marketing, finance, Mm -hmm. et cetera. So you'll have some control, but you will absolutely have to learn things that aren't overly interesting to you along with the ones that are. So I guess, you know, we we were looking at talking about like, why does this matter? I think we've made a case for why it matters, at least obliquely in terms of having business success. But I think it's also important to develop these skills 
and take an intentional look at it for the sake of not even just keeping up, but for the sake of growth. Because if you go off on your own and say you figure out just enough to get by in all facets of the business, you're taking on one contract after another. That'll seem fine for a year, maybe two, three. At some point, you might wake up and realize, wow, I haven't managed to bring in any additional revenue or I haven't managed to you know, figure out a way to improve my lifestyle or anything like that. And I think you need an active plan for those things so you don't have kind of a boiled frog dynamic where you wake up one day and you say, hey, wait a minute, like this was supposed to make my life better. What happened? Absolutely. So what can you do? So we made this whole list of like different categories of things you can do in order to, uh, you know, do some uh, career improvement. And the first one we have is a formal education and courses. And I guess I'll, I'll start on this one because I, I went off and did it. I had a, I don't know if crisis is the word, but I was doing consulting of various sorts, uh, you know, doing programming and some general consulting and web development and system administration. And I felt like every project was ending on a sour note, right? Like either the company went bust or they didn't like what I was doing or they hired someone in house to do it. But it was never a sort of clean break. Oh, you're done with a project. This is great. Or it was rarely that. And I complained to someone about it, a friend of the family who's a management professor. And he said, well, you should go do a Ph.D., I said, what? He said, really, you'll get some time to sort of clear your head and you'll learn lots of new things and meet lots of new people. And we'll see what sort of new direction it gives your career. The good news is that it did indeed put my career on a new track and a very good one. Bad news is it took me 11 years to do the PhD. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) causing emotional trauma for myself and for the rest of my family and basically giving us a financial sinkhole for about a decade. Other than that, it was great. But I can say that, yeah, I learned a ton. So you don't have to go quite as whole hog crazy as I did. But definitely going and doing a formal degree, it will take a few years. It will take time. I definitely find it's very subtle. It doesn't very obviously give me credibility. It's not like people say, oh, you have a PhD. Thus, we want to work with you. But it gives me some street cred when I'm working with clients, talking to them, oh, this is something that maybe you know something about, we should trust you. You can go way, way lower down on the scale than that. You can do maybe a master's degree or even just cert- get certification in something. I used to, as an open source guy, laugh at certification. I was like, oh, come on, who needs that sort of thing? But it turns out that like, it's a, it's a sort of neutral arbiter who's saying, yeah, you know your stuff here. And so clients might be inclined to hire you if you get that. And guess what? you will also learn something which is fun in and of itself. I guess so my own experience with formal education, I got a bachelor's in computer science and then I went into the workforce working as a software engineer. And while I was doing that, I went out at night and got a master's in computer science. And then years later went off on my own, I don't know, three years after I got the master's, I guess. And so I've kind of thought of over the course of the years that have interceded there, Would I have been better off getting, say, an MBA instead of a master's in computer science? And I think for me, anyway, the jury's really out on that because the master's degree in computer science indirectly served to spur the consulting practice dead tech that I started up because as part of the computer science master's program, we studied, you know, advanced topics like operating systems, advanced operating systems, sort of more avant-garde database implementation, et cetera. And as part of the program, we started to spend a lot of time reading and even writing like white papers on various topics. This got me into the habit of content creation and blogging. So when the program ended, I started uh, the blog that would eventually spur my consulting practice and kind of for me, Mm -hmm. the rest was history. And it also, I guess, taught me a more research oriented or kind of critical way to evaluate technology. So I don't know that I can say that the master's program I did was directly beneficial to my career in a specific way. Like somebody came along and said, oh, well, you have a master's in computer science, so we're going to hire you for $10,000 more than we would have. Nothing like that. But it definitely diversified my experience. And I think the importance of the degree to me was less about even the course material or like learning, you know, computer architecture processors or whatever, like all of that was interesting. But I think that extra education obliquely helped me by exposing me to kind of different ways of thinking. So I don't know enough in retrospect about what an MBA would entail exactly. I mean, I say this having like built a business that I run, but um, I don't know what would go on an MBA program to say whether that would have made more sense for somebody with an entrepreneurial bent, maybe. But I think a lot of the benefit of education is perhaps 
the connections that you make, the type of thinking that you do, and maybe Reuven, as you alerted, alluded to, like the kind of break or just doing something different and getting a different spin on career. So I don't know that I have any like super actionable advice from my experience. It is definitely an investment to go get a degree. Um, but I think there is the potential there for upside that's hard to even exactly articulate as long as you kind of opportunistically make the most out of the education that you're doing. And you can even take a lot of, you know, let's say you don't need to get a degree to get something out of these courses, right? There are plenty of courses available online and even offline. I'd say the online courses, they can sort of vary in quality because you might learn something, but I think a lot of the the benefits of of doing a degree are indeed the interactions you have with people in general education. I think the, the interactions are where it's at. So if you're just doing it at home, watching some videos, except for, for my video courses, of course, but all the others in the world are like, you know, inferior. So if you can do it in person, I think that's better. But in general, like if there's a topic you want to learn about, if there's a, a direction you're thinking of going in business-wise, take a course in it, right? There's so many online courses from so many universities. And then you can sort of at least find out, are you interested or not? And sort of dip your toes further and further into those waters. Yeah, you know, what strikes me is, I think if I were going to give actionable advice to anyone listening, if you're on your own and you're freelancing and you're looking for an edge, you're looking to learn something that you know makes your life better, makes your practice better, et cetera, I would start out with individual courses. And whether those come through something like Pluralsight or Linda or whatever, or whether they come through a program where you can just audit a single course, start out with a course or two maybe. See how it helps, see what you learn from it. And then if that seems to be going well, you could get to the point where you're thinking about a certification or even a degree. But I think in retrospect, if I were freelancing, I would look at, you know, what do I not seem to know enough about or what do I think my practice could maybe benefit from? And then what's a course I could take? So that might be the thing that you're a technician in. Like you might take a course if you're, I don't know, building websites and starting to specialize in performance or something. You might take some kind of course in, you know, that was dedicated to like performance related topics in computing. Or if you're like struggling to keep, you know, keep the books, you just find some like self-directed course on a site or something that's like bookkeeping 101 for business owners. I would start with that and then kind of let the results from it dictate whether you roll that up into a broader program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, my my daughter took a, a one course, like she's she was in the army last year in Israel. She's going to be starting university this coming fall. And so she took one course. And it was a great way to sort of like, you know, first of all, like it was great use of her time. But second of all, it gave her a chance to see what is this. She took a history course. It's not directly applicable to what we're talking about here with freelancers. But she was like, oh, so this is what learning history is like. This is what the professors are like. like. It gave her a chance to sort of, again, dip her toes in the, the, the water before committing to a large amount of money or time. So definitely something to look into. Also, it can be fun. Like a lot of people I know who've been working for a few years, even if you've been working full time, it can be fun to take a class and do something refreshing and different. Also, if you haven't had homework in 10 years, it can be surprising. What about like non-degree online courses now that I've disparaged them? Well, what, what do you think about those? So I guess I was talking a little bit about like something like Linda or what have you. Um, I think that runs the gamut so much. I, I do think, especially when it comes to like start your own business, there are a lot of hucksters out there. So like I'd be kind of careful, but I feel like if you sign up for a learning platform like a Pluralsight or a Linda, that you can have a certain degree of faith in the material that you're being exposed to. So I think there's, I guess in summary, I would say, I think there's a lot of tactical value to taking a non-degreed course if you have like a specific use case, like I need to learn about bookkeeping or accounting, or I need to learn about digital marketing or something uh, in order to feed that back into my practice, I think there's value there. Just maybe get something with a lot of social proof or get some recommendations or something to make sure you're not learning to freelance from somebody who just failed at freelancing and their last ditch effort is to teach people how to freelance, <laughs> which is like surprisingly common. Like that's a thing that people do. <laughs> Wow, I hadn't thought about that, but I think you're totally right. I mean, look, I've bought a whole bunch of online courses, and I think I am not alone in rarely completing them. I know I have a whole bunch that I haven't even started that if I were to just like, and every time I have a week free, I'm like, oh, I'll just go through a bunch of those courses that I bought. No, I won't. I have not done that. But when I have started going through some of them, they've been very interesting and good. Like some, some of them are great, but yeah, you should definitely look for social proof. I, I totally agree. And yeah, the quality is extremely, extremely varied because it's you know it's the wild west. People can produce whatever they want. 
So what about, let's, let's switch gears a little bit. So a, a lot of times we think of professional development as indeed like, you know, formal education or even informal education. But what about like communities? There's a ton of peer learning that happens at a company. Um, just sort of, you know, people love to talk about the water cooler where people, do people really like water coolers anymore? In any event, like where, where people go and gather and chat about things. And sort of the equivalent to that is online communities. I mean, we're both part of one, at least one, like uh, in common, a Slack channel. And I found that to be extraordinarily, extraordinarily helpful and just bouncing ideas off of people. But I also have a few other communities that I've been a part of that have been helpful. I'm in a marketing class now that I'm taking. Oh, there you go. There's an in-person marketing class I'm taking. I mean, it's, it's online, but it's, it's live. It's not recorded. And the people there have been extraordinary about giving feedback and giving ideas. I think oh, you, have your, um, you have your community that you've, you've been setting up as well, I should add. Yeah, shameless plug there. I'll, I'll throw it in the picks, but we are building just such a community that has, I think, around 500, 600 people in it these days. But me setting up a community like that, notwithstanding, I can't emphasize enough how much I would do that. In fact, it, just kind of scanning through our list and what we're thinking about here, if you're a freelancer listening and there's one thing you do, I would go find a freelancer community. And ideally something that isn't just like the comment section on Upwork or like the FAQs, like a community that is actually kind of people who are freelancing, perhaps in a similar discipline to you, just because there's so much good that can come out of that. But like one of the earliest things that you'll find is just the commiseration factor. So if you're just kind of going it alone, that can be really frustrating at times. But if you have a bad client experience or something and you have a community like this, just being able to go in and vent and say, can you believe what this client just said to me? You know, that alone can be surprisingly morale building. But the other thing that goes on in those communities that I think is so important is you're surrounded by people who are at maybe different stages in their journey of whatever it is you're specifically trying to do. So there's the capability to learn from people that maybe have gotten a little uh, further along that path than you. There's the capability to give advice and mentor to people, which is also valuable. And then there's just a lot of ideas out there that you'll get exposed to. So you're not reinventing every wheel. You know, common things might come up, for instance, like, oh, I just learned that I ought to have bookkeeping software. I didn't know that was a thing. And you might just toss it out there. What do you recommend? What sort of tools would you use? And instead of you by yourself, you know, in your office late at night, reading a bunch of stuff you don't fully understand, Maybe you get like eight responses and seven of them say you should do QuickBooks and then, hey, problem solved. You should probably do QuickBooks if like everybody else in your situation is using that. So it can really short circuit and focus your learning in addition to giving you a kind of a communal source of camaraderie. So I think for those two reasons alone, that would be the first thing I would do is go out and look for a community of people that are in a similar boat to you, or maybe that are a little further along in your journey and it's kind of aspirational, that's a great group of people to be around to kind of learn and soak things up by osmosis. Yeah, you know, also like freelancing can be kind of lonely. And so having a community out there, just like it's other people who understand what you're going through. Your family might not understand, your relatives probably won't understand because, you know, a lot of people have full-time jobs and the the stresses of being a freelancer and the problems that we encounter can be surprising. And also, yeah, the kinds of advice you need. So I've often on the Slack channel, I said to people, well, I have this client who wants to do X and Y and Z. What do you think? And more often than not, they'll be like, run away, bad thing. <laughs> and and it, it, regardless of whether, you know, I thought that or I even followed the advice, I um, it was very useful to get input from other people as Eric said, like, you know, who, who have maybe been there before can compare notes. And just to talk to people, it's it's nice to have a, a sort of a community of people to to chat about things, you know, professional and, and non-professional. I think it's it's been very, very good for me. Certainly my family knows nothing about Slack, except for the fact they'll say, oh, I saw this, oh, I got this advice. So they, they know that is, you know, a useful part of my uh, day of my work. Have you looked at the like the Reddit freelance group? I seem to remember looking at it in the past. I just brought it up now. And I see they are super, super strict about like what their content is. And I seem to remember people getting thrown off that we know because they were like trying to be helpful and pointed people to their own website. So <laughs> it's like, oh, I wrote an article about this. You're not allowed to post links to your own articles. You're banned. So I, I don't know if there's something like Reddit or, or if you've had good experiences there. Offhand, I don't. No of any. I mean, you know, we've got the community that we're building. I do know of some 
<clears throat> you know, like the one that we're in, or there are communities that I've been a part of that are invite. So it might be that you need to flex your network muscle and, you know, talk to people. Uh, that's probably a great starting point is, you know, take stock of people that you know that are freelancers and maybe reach out to them initially and say like, hey, uh, you know, I'm looking for communities. Do you have any idea there? I can't speak one way or another about the Reddit one. I've never participated. The only exposure to that that I have is I remember, um, you know, scanning that for show topics <laughs> in, in prior years, the questions that people have, but I've never participated in it. So I'm not sure. Um, I personally, like, I don't know exactly how many people participate in that, but to me, I think I'd probably rather be in a private curated forum than a public uh, no holds barred one, just because I think the lack of anonymity and the privacy there might make people a little more inclined to share things that are more, I don't want to say personal, but like maybe things you just wouldn't throw out there on the internet, broadly speaking, where you're talking about things like the revenue your business is earning or like what your big concerns are, things of that nature, because that stuff can be really helpful. It's actually, you know, one of the things that you get from career development as a salaried employee is like the ability to kind of benchmark your progress. It can be a little bit artificial, but your boss is saying like, okay, you know, if you, even though we haven't given you the title yet, if you take the lead on this new feature, then I think there's, you know, lead engineer title in your future or something. It can be a lot harder to benchmark progress as a freelancer, but if you're in a community with a bunch of people that are saying, yeah, you know, I grew my revenue by 10% year over year or whatever, you can start to see what's happening around you and put a you are here on the map. And in a public forum, that might be a little harder to do. I think people are more prone to grandstanding in public. Eh, it's kind of an off-the-cuff take. I hadn't given it a lot of thought, but what do you think? Like, Would you rather be in a private curated community or does it not matter? No, I hadn't thought about that until now either. And absolutely a private community. Absolutely, positively. I guess that's why I've never really gone to, I mean, among other things, why I've never gone to the, the, the Reddit forum there. But I've been in, I am in some of those. And not only do I feel like the people, I don't want to say I'm guaranteed the people are of high quality, but they've generally been of high quality. They generally have a similar mindset. You could argue that it's a lot of you know everyone just sort of mirroring each other. So we're not getting a lot of diverse views. But I found that like people are more serious. People are going to take my question seriously. And yeah, I'm, I'm definitely willing to share revenue stuff in a private forum. And I'm not going to say on the internet, so I charge this client so and so much. <laughs> for, for, first of all, like I'm always petrified. I know this is like complete paranoia on my part that a client is going to see what I've written there and then like say, what? You charge us this much? You charge, you know, you charge them less? You charge them more? Heaven knows where that would. Whereas in a private forum, I sort of assume that it's going to be kept private there. All right. What else? How about in-person communities and in-person conferences, which I realized during the pandemic, we've reduced those quite a lot, but I'm, I'm going to be at two conferences in the next two months, not necessarily, or three months, not necessarily of freelancers, but I have gone to, I went to one conference for freelancers a few years ago in Stockholm with Brennan Dunn. And I guess I went to two of them. The second one was not nearly as good. And it was such a delight. It was such a delight to like have a room full of people who all had the same attitudes and be able to eat together and chat together. And it was a full, full weekend of like talking to people and learning from them and helping them out. I've never done anything like that in person except for there because I've never like worked with other freelancers in person. Have, have, have you, have you done anything like that? I haven't. So I don't have a ton of, I guess, ground on which to weigh in, except to say it's the kind of thing I've often wanted to do. I think for me, I don't know that I would try to get into some kind of like standing in-person meetup with similar freelancers, especially if you were marketing to people in the region, because like those kind of might be your competitors. Not that that's really the end of the world, but it just, that wouldn't strike me as much as what you're describing, which would be to maybe go to a, a one-time or an annual conference and to get a lot of value packed into a short period of time, just from having these interactions and hallway conversations and such. I've actually wanted to do that at times. I'm in a um, digital nomad community or an entrepreneurial digital nomad community called the Dynamite Circle. And it strikes me as like, it could be valuable in an undirected way to go, you know, to like Mexico City or something for a conference where I spent like four days just chatting with other similar business owners. I don't know exactly what I'd get out of it, but it strikes me as the kind of thing that's worth taking a shot at. 
and then like honing your experience. But I think you'd want to go there with, I don't want to say an agenda because that makes it sound a little like, I don't know, like overly cynical or something, but I don't know that I'd just want to go and hang out at the beach and drink margaritas and hope that like good things happened. Like I'd probably, you know, have some ideas, maybe based on the talks for what I'd want to learn. So I guess my take on that is take my take with a grain of salt. All I can really speak to is what I have at times wanted to do, which would be to go to an event of that nature and kind of see how it goes and tune the experience to do it again, potentially. Have you ever gone to a microconf? I have not. Yeah, neither have I. I've, I'd heard great things about it in the past, and I kept thinking, well, maybe I'll go, maybe I'll go, and the pandemic happened. And then also I just find that every time they schedule it, I've already scheduled those dates, so I can't quite do it. But anyway, we'll see. Maybe No, I, I just went to their website. And I see uh, MicroConf for Europe is in October, and I've already scheduled October. So, oh, well. <laughs> the perils of doing scheduling in advance. I've never been so prepared in my life. Oh, well. <laughs> How about books, books and other publications? I'll tell you, I'm one of these people who buys way too many books, reads a lot of books. I love it. I, I think it's like an important part of not only who I am for fun, but I get so many ideas, not just business. Like, so I read technical books, I read business books, but I also read other books to sort of give me perspective. And I also, I also when I teach, I like to use a lot of stories. And so I'm constantly on the lookout for new stories and things that are not obviously connected to you know, Python programming to give people perspective on things especially with data science. Oh my God, like the amazing stories that I try to collect so that I can, you know, amuse people and also give them some insights. So I, I think it's really, really important to read a lot. And I don't only read books. I read a lot of magazines. I read a lot of newsletters. I would definitely encourage people, especially nowadays, it's so easy to get books. It's so easy to get newsletters. so easy to get magazines online. The more you read and the more diversely you read, even if you don't feel like it's going to give you some direct insights, it will. I mean, assuming it's of high quality, it, it definitely will. That, that's my experience, at least. I used to read a lot more eclectic set of things. In recent years, I've become very laser-focused on building the business that we have hit subscribe to a certain point where you know I'd have the optionality to do something like hire a CEO or something of that nature. And building a business, keeping it with a good multiple and scaling in the way that I have has kind of given me tunnel vision in a way that I regret. So I generally agree with you. I used to read, you know, classic literature or I'd read, you know, a lot of books, you know, by people like Malcolm Gladwell or something that didn't have a direct mm -hmm. relevance per se to anything that I was doing. But I found the perspective increase to be very valuable. These days, I guess, and the reason I'm drawing this distinction is because some of you out there listening might, you know, think you don't have the bandwidth to have like eclectic book consumption, and maybe you don't. The way that I've kind of narrowed my focus and still at least taken in information like this is that my reading recommendations are very curated. So as I'm talking to people, I might hear something like, oh, you're dealing with, you know, how to you know, I don't know, go from like eight to 15 employees, like so-and-so wrote a book about that. And then I will opportunistically grab that based on recommendation. So if you do step one and join a community, one of the things I would do if you're pressed and you aren't looking to have more eclectic taste is to get recommendations, ideally explain your situation and your challenges and get recommendations. But there'll be a list. I mean, I could rattle off books that I think a freelancer ought to read, like Million Dollar Consulting, The E-Myth Revisited, Built to Sell, these are all great books. So I think you'll get a lot of recommendations, but you know, to bring it all the way back full circle, one of my great regrets over the last few years is that my reading isn't more diversified. It's all very like focused and mercenary and, and I miss the perspective-based reading. Yeah, I mean, I believe me, I, well, you have a, you have a was he now, one-year-old, one-and-a-half-year-old? So uh, that might have something to do with it also, that and growing a business. But like, you know, I've got a large stack of books behind me and to the side of me that I really need to get to as well. But I'm telling you, every time I get to one of these books, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is really giving me a lot of insights. So it's good. It's fun. Oh, you know, there's another factor here, aside from the business and having a child. I forgot when I was doing 100% travel, that involved a lot of flying and commuting to airports and such. So I actually had a lot more time that was sort of dead time to listen to audiobooks. And yeah, I, I didn't think about that, that there was also a strong correlation between the drop-off and not having commuter time anymore. That would certainly do it. Yes, absolutely. So masterminds, 
So if you're listening to this and you're sort of new to the freelancing world, you might also be new to the idea of a mastermind. I had certainly never heard of them before I sort of got into this space. Well, I should say I'd been freelancing for 10 years or more before I started hearing people talk about masterminds. And all it is, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, is basically a regular meeting with other freelancers where you share business ideas. I mean, there are different styles of them. But basically, you tell the others what's going on with your business, good and bad, and they give you feedback. And feedback, hopefully constructive criticism to help you improve. Um, I've been a part of a number of masterminds over the years. I'm now one with just one other person where we meet about once a month. It's amazing to get that sort of feedback from someone else. I was in another one recently where it sort of fell apart after a few months. I was in one for, I guess, two or three years, maybe 10 years ago, where it was really formative for me. It really gave me a lot of insights. And like, if you're making big decisions also, it's great to get feedback from someone else and say, you're doing the right thing. Or if you're going through a a crisis, it's good. It's sort of like what we were talking about the online communities, but it's more private. So you can be even freer with details, including monetary details and get feedback on why you should have charged them more or you were right to leave them or you should run after them or you know any number of things. So to echo that, the value of it, in my experience, I've been part of a few masterminds. I would summarize by saying they do two things, depending on the structure. There's a handful of like kind of stock structures. A lot of times a mastermind will involve everybody kind of giving a roundtable update of what they've been up to over the last week or two or month, like whatever the cadence is. And then usually there's a format, or often there's a format called hot seat, where you all rotate who essentially takes their turn saying, here's something I'm struggling with. I'd like to devote the whole group's like energy over the course of 40 minutes to like helping me solve this problem. And then you rotate through the mastermind members. Each one takes a hot seat uh, sequentially. And then sometimes you will have, you'll state what you're intending to commit to do over the next few weeks through the lens of what's often called working on the business versus in the business. So this isn't like I'm going to work 40 hours, you know, for my app dev client. It's I'm going to improve my site's marketing or something that isn't like client delivery work. Like what are you going to do to improve your situation? And so this creates in my experience, two things that are really hard to replicate career development wise when you're on your own. One of which is the actual feeling of accountability. So if you tell your boss at a job that you're going to, you know, have feature X done in two months, there's obvious accountability there. If you go off on your own and you say that you're going to improve your website and it's just you, like none of your clients care about that. There's there's just nobody who cares if you do that. So you can let it go on forever. So the idea of, you know, simple and almost obtuse as it sounds, telling like three or four other people that you're going to do X, if you show up every couple of weeks and you haven't done it, you start to feel kind of dumb. So it creates accountability. And then the other thing I found, especially with the hot seat format, is it brings somebody who is at least comparable to you experience-wise to evaluate what you're doing. And again, it's the same kind of concept. If you're just kind of on your own and you're taking on bad business, let's say, making yourself miserable with clients, there's no boss out there who has been in your role and is maybe more experienced. You don't have a mentor. And while this is not a strict mentor relationship, you can kind of like crowdsource the mentorship by having a few different people. So if you're talking about something to the group and you have three equals saying, hey, that doesn't seem like a good idea, that kind of simulates that mentorship relationship and gives you insight into what you might be doing wrong. So like joining a community, I think, especially if you have the faintest whiff of struggling in some way, I would definitely go out and look for a mastermind. There are, I think, services that broker them and a lot of communities will facilitate them. So yeah, that's my experience there. Definitely, definitely recommend it. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely, I've made a number of big pivotal decisions based on conversations in a mastermind. My decision to leave the training company I was with and sort of go back to doing it on my own once I decided I want to do full-time training, that I struggled with, like, maybe this is a bad idea, will I really have clients? And they said, yes, you should do this. And when I did it, they were very supportive. And when it worked out, they were, you know, Rightly self-congratulatory. You know, and I killed off one or two projects, maybe even more because people said it was a bad idea. Really just like, great thing to do. Great thing to do. How about like getting professional advice from lawyers or accountants? Like my accountant says, you should come by more often. I'll, like we could talk about your business, how to improve it. I've literally never taken him up on this because I'm so busy. But maybe this is a good idea. Should I do that? Should you do that? 
This one I'm leery of, not because I don't think they'd give good advice, but because when you're bootstrapping a freelance practice and probably running kind of lean in terms of profits, a lot of professionals of this nature who give advice might like punch a clock as soon as you start talking to them and like you get a bill. So my personal take, I mean, maybe they don't. Hit subscribe actually just switched CPAs recently and I love the new CPA that we have because he's happy to talk without running a meter. So you can get that. I think for me over the years, I've tried to either teach myself or rely on something like a mastermind or a community to sort of focus what I'm wondering about. And if I'm going to talk to a lawyer or a CPA or a tax advisor or something with the idea that it might be billed, I tend to want to be crystal clear on what I need a professional answer on and try to get that almost as close to a yes or no as as humanly possible. Rather than doing something like saying, I'm going to call up a lawyer and be like, hey, you know, what do you think of like the intellectual property with like hit subscribe situation and who owns content? Like that I'd be worried about. I'm on the phone for half a day with a lawyer and I get a bill for $1,200 and we just shot the breeze. So I don't know, maybe I'm being overly cynical here, but I've personally really kind of relegated billable advice of that nature to very, very concrete questions that I had. So I guess, I mean, like my accountant was actually talking about, yeah, come by and we're not going to, you know, I'm not going to bill you extra for this. I pay him a monthly fee anyway for handling all my books and so forth. And he hmm. said it would be useful to sort of, hey, I'll get an overview of what you're doing and how you want to do it. Again, like I, I think he would actually have smart things to say. I've talked to him in the past. He, you know, I just haven't made time to do it. All right. And yeah, lawyers, I guess lawyers all charge, charge for that kind of thing. I hadn't really thought about that before. I mean, if you've got like you know, either somebody that's providing you with a service that's willing to give you, you know, advice or shoot the breeze. Yeah, absolutely do it. Uh, You know, one thing that strikes me is I was going to say like, oh, you know, if you have a brother-in-law that's a lawyer or something, but like, I don't know, just for your interpersonal relationships, those of you listening might want to be careful about prevailing upon professionals for free advice. Ask yourself how you would feel in that situation. (laughs) So I I can tell you, I, I might have told this story before, but when we moved into our apartment, so the neighbors came by to greet us and say hello. And several of them said, oh, we, we hear you're in computers. Could we ask you some questions? And I said, I would be super happy to answer your questions. Absolutely feel free to come by. Just one little thing. I really only know about Unix. I don't know anything about Windows. We have lived in this house for more than 20 years. I have yet to get a single question. I think that was one of the <laughs> smartest things I ever said. So yeah, I, I don't. I would not want to do that. Like my sister's a doctor, so sometimes I'll ask her questions, you know, about you know general things. But I'd rather for, for you know go to professionals for that sort of thing. So you know, we'll go to our like uh, the last thing we had put on our list here, which was a self evaluation. So. I know you mentioned before we started recording that very often, you know, at a, at a business, they'll ask you to self-evaluate. I seem to remember way, way back in the recesses of my memory, having to do something about that. Like, where do you think you are good this year? Where do you think you were, you <laughs> could stand to improve? And, uh, you know, so, so that you would fill that out before they would tell you how much your raise was. And then you would sort of, oh, I, I, and then you would get your evaluation and you were supposed to write a reaction to the evaluation. What am I supposed to say? Like, no, I'm better than you think. I should get more money. Like, you know, you know that, that won't get you very far. But you can. I, I think I mentioned, like, I've heard Rob Walling does this from MicroConf, where, like, once, twice, three times a year, he goes away for a few days and just sort of writes, writes about what he wants to do with his business and what his goals are. And I have never done anything even close to that. But now that we're talking about, it, like, I love the idea. And I think I and my business would probably benefit quite a bit. I don't know. Have you, have you ever done anything like that? To set the stage a little, I guess, you know, given that I did a lot of years in the corporate world, you know, with reports as well. So not only was I subject to annual reviews or what have you, but I used to give them. And a lot of the structure that organizations have around this is sort of hokey and, you know, false. Like, oh, how do you think you did? And you're playing this game like, all right, how much can I brag about myself without seeming immodest? Like, but the one thing that does is it it's a forcing function for like, you know, an evaluation of like, are you going to get more money or are you ready for a promotion or what have you? So it forces at least once a year at annual review time, you and your boss to sit down and somebody is making some kind of commentary on how you're doing at stuff really professionally. And as a freelancer, there's no mechanism that drives that really. You don't sit down and look in a mirror once a year and say like, I think you're doing great. So I I think the idea of self-evaluation is important as to how I've come to it. It's often been in the face of some kind of realization. Like I think the biggest one that I ever had was after I'd been 
doing 100% travel for something like four years, like very high touch engagements, I started to say, I don't, I don't want as much of my consulting to be like this anymore. I need things that are either passive income or just not high touch. So I sat down and started peeling at this onion and said, okay, let me categorize all the engagements I've had over the last couple of years by whether they're high touch or not, by whether you know they generate passive revenue or not, et cetera. And so I created these pie charts about my revenue and said, oh, okay, like 90% of my revenue is from really high touch engagements. I want to ratchet that down to like 50%. That's my goal by the end of the year for half my revenue to be coming in a different way. And once I looked at that and articulated what I wanted to do, it was surprisingly easy for me to make that switch. Like that sounds really hard, especially if you know, you're doing 100% on-site or something like that to say like, well, I want 50% not to be on-site. But really what you wind up doing is qualifying your engagements or making decisions about what to take and not to take on that basis. So if you have a deliberate goal like that and somebody calls you up and they want such and such work, you can say like, sure, I'm happy to do this in the following structure. I'll you know come in once a month and spend a week with you, like whatever it may be. So to kind of drag back up out of the weeds here a little bit, I think that it's important to at times take stock of your business and practice and perhaps even your personal lifestyle and say, how are things going? You know, am I overly stressed? Do I not even have time for self-evaluation? And then to start digging in, like, what is the problem here? Why am I working 60 hours a week? Why do I seem to suffer from such bad clients and so on and so forth? So the first step would be to take stock of something like that and then to kind of categorize the issues and, you know, have some hypotheses about how to improve. And then, you know, this is a do as I say, not as I do, because I've only ever sporadically done this kind of self-assessment. But if it goes well, you know, put a block of time on your calendar to do it every six months or something like you had mentioned Rob doing. So I think you need to start and cultivate a habit of doing self-evaluation and then forming hypotheses about how to improve your business you know, I guess in the scrum world, you used to call this tries, like you do the retrospective, what went well, what didn't, what do we want to try next time? So just something like that. Absolutely. I mean, I see here, so what they call it is uh, what Robin and his wife, Sherry, each like amazing, and they do stuff together as well, but they call it a, a retreat or a founder's retreat. And in the show notes, there's someone, they have an episode of their podcast and founder about how to structure it. And then there's someone who actually did one and he writes up what he did and what structure was like. And so uh, cool. that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the the upshot of everything we're saying here is, again, you have to be constantly learning. You have to be willing to learn and change your way of doing things, you know, in, in all sorts of different ways. But you need to figure out, sort of learn how to learn, as it were. And it's not going to be book learning necessarily. And there's so many resources, really, like... It's just crazy how many resources there are now for people who are going to be freelancing or consulting or starting businesses. In fact, the problem might be that there's too much. But anyway, we hope that some of these resources are helpful. Any last words before we um, move into picks? Yeah, I mean, I think I'd summarize it by saying however good or bad or however functional or dysfunctional the corporate review process is, what it does is it sort of bakes in the assumption that you are going to be improving in some fashion over the duration of your time with the company. You're going to be earning a little more money, earning a little more responsibility. So it becomes this baseline of gentle, steady improvement. And when you go off on your own, that goes away. There's nothing in your life that forces that to happen. So I think what we're really talking about here at the end of the day is you forcing that to happen. And there are kind of two components to that, however you approach it. One is to actually make it a point to do some kind of self-assessment and goal setting. And then two is to structure that in a productive fashion. So all of the tactics that we're talking through are really oriented around that, like actually making it a point to look at what you're doing and then figuring out ways or soliciting input or whatever it is to, to create some improvement in your business and your life. So I think it's critical, you know, that you have some mechanism for doing this. Excellent. So on that note, do you have any picks for this week? I do. Since I mentioned it in passing, I think I've picked this before, but I'll throw out the uh, E-Myth Revisited. It's a, a great read, in particular, the beginning of the book, where they talk about kind of the three personas, if you will, as it relates to going off on your own. I think it's a great read for freelancers. And then I'll throw a pick out to the Hit Subscribe um, community. It's really aimed at people who are uh, I'll call it business interested engineers. Generally, most of the people in the community are in tech, 
but it, it it's not just for people that are already off on their own freelancing, but people who might be interested in cultivating a side hustle or and or eventually going off on their own. And what we're looking to build in there is a lot of like recommendations, exchanges, you know, answering questions, trying to build up a set of resources that people can use. So we're aiming to create just the sort of community that we've been talking about here. Oh, and I should say there's no like charge or anything. It's free to join. Amazing. So I'm going to have two picks here. Uh, Michael Lewis, one of my favorite writers. I know I'm not alone in that. You know, a lot of people like him. So he's been doing a podcast for the last few years called Against the Rules. And that's a great podcast for sure. And I recently discovered that in this podcast feed, he has sort of like special bonus episodes about his first book ever was called Liar's Poker, a fantastic book, by the way. I mean, I read it years ago. Turns out that he had not read it in about 30 years, 25, 30 years, and he recorded it for an audiobook. I'm not plugging the audiobook. I'm not an audiobook kind of guy. But in his, he did these podcast episodes to describe the process of rereading the book and what had changed in Wall Street in the last 30 years and what had changed in him. And I was particularly fascinated by a conversation that he had with Ira Glass from This American Life, where each of them listened to work that they had done 30 years before and cringed in horror at how bad it was or how bad they thought it was and how they thought that they had improved and changed. And so if we're talking about improving and changing, I have to say it was really inspirational for me to hear two people who are so incredibly accomplished show us, demonstrate to us that they had to improve, they had to learn, they had to be very deliberate about it. So if you ever think, oh, my work is terrible, you're not alone. A lot of people, or, or if your earlier work was terrible, you're definitely not alone. Other people have that same feeling. And so all these bonus episodes are great, but especially the one with him and Ira Glass, I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And the other thing, I write this down so I don't forget it. And the other thing is Tim Hartford, also uh, someone I'm sure I've mentioned before. Uh, he tweeted, I want to say it was like six, eight months ago, something about how he handles his email. And this is apparently based on getting things done, the GTT formula, where it basically says, leave nothing in your inbox, have like one box for things you have to reply to, another for things you have to act on, and a third for interesting things that maybe one day you'll get a chance to read. So I switched to that. I'm going to guess, like I started doing that about two, three months ago. Oh my God. For the first time in my life, my inbox is no longer my to-do list. I mean, for years, years and years and years, people would email me, why haven't you gotten back to me? Maybe you didn't see it. Now people are like, wow, thank you for getting back to us so fast. Now, granted, I still have things in my to-reply and my to-act boxes, but the absolutely immediate stuff is gone. And all of these newsletters that I get, I have in a separate one called to-print. I'm either going to read it or print it out and then read it You know, when I have some leisure time. I feel so much more relaxed about email than ever before. I did not think it would be possible. So I definitely encourage people to to try that out, especially if you're a busy freelancer and you feel like you're drowning in email, which I was for decades. Anyway, that is the show for today. If you have any questions, suggestions, thoughts, we would be delighted to hear from you. Thanks again for listening. And we'll be back very soon with the business of freelancing.